one of the things one of the words one of the feelings or sentiments that are very closely connected with our faith is the word condemnation we find that word coming up a lot Con- condemnation to condemn sometimes we feel condemned sometimes we are condemning lighter words are like prejudice you know discrimination uh finger pointing but condemnation is is a very heavy experience it's a very filthy dirty sort of a violating experience and many people would as- connect that to church or to religion or to religiosity or to pious people or to uh, either they themselves their own their own conscience is condemning them or people actually go out and are condemning to others no matter what it's a word that we don't like do we agree anybody like that word you're like no i like i like condemnation no there's nobody like that is there a place for condemnation in the in the christian faith is there a place for condemnation in my life is god condemning me when i sin when i fall chapters 8 and chapter 9 of john the gospel of john two very long chapters and i'm going to pick from that two stories of two people who were brought to jesus and both relative to the issue of sin and everybody struggling with this whole issue of sin what is jesus going to do with sin We know what Moses will do with sin he picks up stones and took care finished done he picked up stones and stoned the person person caught in this person caught in that person doing this person doing that stone him there's a purpose for that that god had set in place however these pharisees these sadducees these scribes they were like we are the disciples of moses we believe in the law and if they can just get get this okay if they can just get jesus to go against moses they would be able to condemn him that's what they want legalistic people law bound people religious bound people the, ex- the 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 expression of what they do and say and live is condemnation and what they wanted really truthfully speaking because you'll see the phrase there they were trying to test him they were trying to track trap him etc etc was they were trying to condemn him and if they can get him to go against moses so you get the background that's the background of the text over here but we have two stories one story of a woman caught in adultery and another story of a man born blind you remember those two stories very good because i don't have the time to go all over it all over again however however real quick jesus was on the mount of olives he's just finished up uh, with our la- yes last sunday's uh, sermon and last sunday's story and early in the morning after mount of olives he's been on the mount for the whole night he comes down and goes straight to the temple he goes straight to the temple and there he begins to teach he sat down he sat down and began to teach as he sits down begin to meet all the people circle all all the people gathered all the people gathered chapter 8 and they sat down to hear him speak okay okay you just believe me okay just listen to the story yeah it's there <laughs> by the time we turn to concordance and everything and <laughs> okay so where was i jesus is sat down all the people have said uh, are sat down and they are now listening to him speak so when you say temple jerusalem how many people do you think there would be a lot yeah that's a good number Yeah a lot of people 
A lot of people. And I want you to get the heart behind condemnation. Condemnation is a long word, but the heart behind condemnation, it has a sick experience, a sick traumatic experience that uh, covers, that, that envelops this. They brought a woman who was caught in adultery. And they brought her and set her in their midst. Whose midst? The hundreds of people there. One woman, they bring her and set her there and make everybody look at her and say, Teacher, Rabbi, she was caught in adultery. This woman was caught in adultery. And all those men, everyone standing around, condemning absolutely, you know, staring at this one woman. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what that moment was like. It's as if I asked one of you to come up here and I told the whole congregation, which is only like 40 of you, some of the sin of your life. And I said, this person has been caught doing this. And I tell the whole church that. You just can, just that's a fraction of what she might have gone through. And she is put over there and Jesus is being put on the stand. Jesus is standing. This is not like, uh, what's the guy who did the, uh, did the movie, Passion? Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. In that movie, you've got like out in the desert. <laughs> yeah? And you've got a bunch of men there with stones and this woman over there and Jesus and sandals and everything. And it's a pretty powerful story. I love that scene. Very well done. But this was in the temple. This is in church. This is with hundreds and thousands of people. This is with the religious authorities all staring you down as a case study of what Jesus does with sin. What does Jesus do with sin? Are you going to condemn? Because if you condemn, we're with you. Because you're with the law of Moses. If you don't condemn, you condemned. We will deal with you. Either way, it was all about Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. Moses says that we should stone her. What do you say? What do you say? Jesus is looking down and he's drawing pictures and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, you know, and he's just kind of doodling. You know, down, down. He's just doodling. And uh, we don't know what he wrote. People come up with all sorts of stuff about he was writing Ten Commandments and all that. I don't know why Jesus would write Ten Commandments on the ground. He's already written it once in stone. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to rewrite it. Um, I don't know what he was doing, but he just couldn't be bothered. My Jesus just couldn't be bothered. He just, they had to get his attention. They had to keep asking. The Bible says he had, they had to keep asking him, Jesus, what are you going to do with this woman? And he just looked down. And then he raised his head and with one sentence, he says, any one of you who doesn't have any sin, Go ahead, take your first shot. Any one of you who doesn't have any sin. And then he looked down again. Making eye contact is condemning as well. Making eye contact is condemning as well. Making eye contact is powerful and authoritative. But Jesus looked down. He was not ashamed. This was not a shame looking down. This was a, I am not engaging you right now. I am not here to condemn anyone. And Jesus looked down. One by one, the Bible says, from the eldest, that's significant, from the eldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they left. Jesus is left all alone with this woman and he says to her, 
Woman, where are they who condemn you? Where are they? He says, no one, Lord. No one condemns me. And then he says, no, neither do I. And then the phrase is, go and sin no more. That's the tagline. That's the addition. That's at the very end, with regard to her sin, this is what he had to say. Go and sin no more. But the key phrase, let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. The key phrase is, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. This time his disciples ask this question as they seek Christ's mind on, on sickness and punishment. Is it a punitive action? Is sickness and disease punitive? Is it a punishment on, on humanity? What is going on over here? Uh, is, 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 is it a judgment from God? And they saw the, uh, the blind man over there, apparently who was blind from birth. And they asked Jesus as a theological question. Rabbi, did he sin or did his Parents. Did he sin or did his parents? Jesus says neither. Neither. Neither sinned but God would be glorified through this. Therefore he was born blind. Jesus heals the man. And uh, this opens up a whole set of problems for this guy. And later the scribes and Pharisees find him. And they're like who healed you? When did he heal you? What's going on over here? He says I don't know. He says this man is a sinner. How can he be a sinner? If he's a sinner, then God won't listen to him. And uh, if God does, God doesn't listen to sinners. And so the, all that debate is going on, right? And uh, he's got to be sinned. But it's, no, no, he's, he's he broken. I don't know anything. What I know is yesterday I was blind. Now I can see you. That's a, prop, that's a very powerful testimony. That's a very powerful testimony. These are the people who are more powerful in their testimony than theologians. Theologians and, and the ones who can explain from Exodus to maps, did. But when you can say, Jesus changed my life, what can I do? People are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Oh, it's powerful. It's very, very powerful. So the, but here's the problem. They, they wouldn't relent. They wouldn't relent. No, how can you be born? You call your parents, you were not born blind. You're, you're, you're lying that you were born blind. They call the parents, parents like, you ask me, he's a grown man. You ask him, I'm standing here. I, I'm telling you, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know where he's come from, but he healed me and I was blind. Now I see. They were so adamant about it that they cast him out. They cast him out. He was healed by Jesus, but they cast him out. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Do you know what it means to be cast out of the temple? For a, for a period of time, you would have to stand outside the temple and you'd have to pray, or you'd have to ask people who are going into the temple to pray for you that God would have mercy on you that you'd be allowed back into the temple. That was a part of the, of the religious Thing. To be cast out is to stand outside and as people walk in, to be shown, to be seen as one who has been condemned, as one who has been left out. So here's another man who knows what condemnation feels. As everybody passes by him, they cast him out. Jesus found him at the temple. Jesus found him at the temple. And Jesus said to him, what happened? And instead of saying, I will get you in, Jesus says, do you believe in the son of man? And he says, I don't know who that is. I'm talking to you. He says, if you can introduce me to him, I would like to believe. I am the one talking to you. And he believed and he worshipped. 
I am the one talking to you. I do not condemn you. I am the one talking to you. Come to me. Listen to me. Believe me. Now, we're beginning to understand that Jesus is shifting the focus of people from them on the temple, on the sacrificial system, on the law, onto himself. Are you beginning to see this? This is going to drive them mad. This is going to really irk them. But this is what Jesus is doing. What does Jesus do with people's sin? If he's not condemning, if he's not exposing, if he's not shaming them, if he's not destroying them, which is what religion does, which is what religious leaders do, what is Jesus doing? He said to them, if any one of you doesn't have sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. So he's not not recognizing sin. Did you get that? He's not, not he's, there is sin. There is sin, but th this is what I want to bring to you this morning. There seems to be a bigger problem to sin. There seems to be a bigger issue. And this, what you have just done this morning, seems to be more than sin. It seems to be more about something else than it is about sin. Is it about sin? Yeah, in there, there is a sin covering. But there seems to be something more that Jesus is saying. And as I read the text carefully, and I, I don't see the words forgiveness and sin and law as much as I see the word death and life, death and life, death and life. From the very beginning, John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever perish uh, will not uh, perish, whosoever believes him will not perish, but will have eternal forgiveness. Yes? It says eternal life. Eternal life. In the day that you eat this fruit, you will surely die. So there is a problem that God the Father has. There's a problem that God is trying to deal with. And the Son has come to deal with that problem. Now you keep taking his attention off onto, she sinned. What about what she said? What about what he did? He's not going to deal with the sting of death. The sting of death is... Sin, 1 Corinthians. The sting of death is sin. If you have a disease, the outworking or the corruption of that disease is going to get shown. But the problem is the disease. And the disease is death. Sin is the, is the outcome of that disease. The disease is death. The problem is death. As you read very carefully through the Gospel of John, the good news of John, the, the, the good news is life. I have come that they might have life. I am the resurrection and the life. He says it has been given to me to forgive sin. But he says, I have come that you may have life. Brother James read a beautiful passage this morning. A couple of passages actually. He says, you need to eat of me. Because when you eat of me, you will live. Then he says, because I live. You remember that this morning? Because I live, you live. It's got nothing to do with condemnation or sin or guilt or anything. This has to do with your relationship with God. It has to do with life. In the day that you eat this fruit, you will surely die, Adam and Eve. God in that day watched Adam and Eve die. That is a spirit. They didn't drop to the ground. Their bodies never stopped. It didn't die at that moment, but they were cut off. From that moment, God the Father, before the foundations of the earth, had slain the Lamb of God so that he may give life. Life would put you back in a relationship with him. Life would put you in a position, bring you to life. It would bring you to a place where God can have a covenant relationship with you. 
As a man crying over his dying wife or his dead wife saying, come back to life. I want to live with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. So God looks at humanity and brings, has the power to bring it back to life. So he says, if you'll eat of me, you will live. Bring you back to life that you may have, that you may have me, my life. This whole story from the beginning of time is about how much God loves you, not how much you have sinned. Religion is about how, you, how much you have sinned. The, 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 the condemnation is about how much you have sinned. Covenant is about how much you are loved. Covenant is about how much God wants you. You don't invite God into your life. God invites you into his life. He says, come and have life from me. In you, in me, you have life. So it's not God is saying, I, we have always taught that. Now open your heart and let Jesus in. Open your life and let Jesus come and take control. Those concepts are true. Those thoughts are correct. But what God is saying from the beginning of time, he says, I am going to make a covenant with you. I am going to love you. I am going to give myself to you. Now, chapter 9 verse 24 says, I have told you, I have told Jesus, is saying, I've told you. And there's almost a sense of frustration here that you will die in your sin. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Step back a minute and begin to think. This is not about you at all. This is not about you. In the day that you sin, you will surely die. That day, Adam and Eve died. Ever since, man has been dead. Spiritually dead. Not in a position to respond to God. While we were still sinners, while we were still dead, Christ died for us. Okay, not in a position to respond to God. But God the Father... God the Father who's been wanting a relationship with you, wanting you to be, a, wanting a covenant relationship, wanting to love you, wanting to give you life and purpose and meaning and, and peace and everything. Jesus is frustrated and saying, you don't understand. I have come from the Father. If you knew the Father, you would know me. Are you hearing all these words? I'm quoting scripture here. Okay, if you knew the Father, you would know me. If you loved the Father, you would believe what I'm saying. I have come from the Father. There's no talk of Moses, no talk of, uh, of, of condemnation, no talk of law, no talk of Ten Commandments. He's all about what the Father wills, what the Father wills. Read it, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter... It's all about the Father wills. I've come to glorify the Father. I've come to do the Father's will. What, 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 what? What is the Father's will? Father's will is that you should have life. Father's will is that you should have life. In the prodigal son, it, this is the father. This is the father. He's sitting there. I will go and I will say to my father, I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be in your house. I'm, I, I've sinned and I, 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 I will be one of the servants. I will be a slave. I will be a slave in the house where I should be a son. I will be a slave. And I'll go back to my father and perhaps he will forgive me. forgiveness. As soon as he came home, the father opened his arms and said, welcome home. And he reinstated his sonship by putting a ring on his finger. God has always wanted you to be a son in his house. He wants you to be his child. He wants to have a covenant love relationship with you. This is about God the father. This is not about you. But we are beneficiaries of the story. That God the Father. And Jesus is all about what God the Father wants. What does man want? Condemn him. Condemn him. Condemn him. Condemn him. Look there. Look there. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Condemn him. Condemn him. You see what I'm saying? Don't look at me. Look at him. Look, see, see, see. Look, look how bad. Look, look. 
and every man going around pointing fingers at everybody else. And Jesus sees this condemnation and it tears his heart that this is the sting of death. The sting of death is sin. Now if you can take away death, if you can take away death, you'll solve the sin problem. Jesus did not come to solve the sin problem. Jesus came to solve the death problem. In him that you may have life. Paul goes on to unpack what we have in Jesus. And there he says we have been redeemed and we have forgiveness. But there's very little, uh, very little uh, focus and mention and teaching on the forgiveness of our sins. There's more teaching on life in the believer. Life in the believer. You must believe my words. You will die in your sin. That is, you will remain dead in your sin. But if you leave, believe in my words, I will give you life. If you eat of me, you will have life. If you come to me, you will have life. Those who come to me, they will never die. They will never die. So there's something that Jesus is after. We have focused on what the Pharisees said, what the disciples said. We have focused on the human need of feeling forgiven. Correct? But God wants to give you something a lot more than that. Because there is a bigger issue and that issue is death. Chapter 9 verse 31, 32. To the Jews who believed, if you abide in me, he said to the Jews who believe, if you abide in me, if you hold on to my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know this phrase? You know this verse? Very familiar with this verse. The Jews didn't like it. The Jews didn't like it. Chapter 9 verse 31 and 32. Okay, so, so the Jews said to him, you know what, hello, sir, time out, wait, hang on. We are sons of Abraham, we are children of Abraham, we have never been enslaved by anybody. So what, uh, what freedom are you going to give us? Who are you going to say? They, they were offended. You quote that and you put it on the wall and say, you know, the truth will set you free and all that, it sounds really good. But they were offended, they were like, we are not even in bondage, who are you going to set free? Then he says, then he says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I'm going from all over the chapter 8 and chapter 9. So it's better you just look at me only. And then go home and then read chapter 8 and 9 properly. Okay? Anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I want you to get this concept. I'm going to repeat. Anyone who practices sin is a Slave to sin. And then Jesus goes on to talk about that. But he's not talking about sin. He's talking about slave. He's talking about the concept of a slave. He says slaves aren't permanent in the house. Did you know that? Slaves aren't permanent in the house. Even in the Jewish context, even if you were a slave, even if you were a bond servant, on the seventh year, you had to be set free. So you are not permanent in the house. A slave is not permanent in the house, but a son is permanent in the house and here's what he says if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed so you are a slave of sin because you practice sin and you're a slave a slave is not in the house forever so you are not going to be in sin forever you're not going to be a son of sin you are only a slave of sin. And because you are a slave of sin, you can be set free. So the question you should be asking is, normally it's the owner, it's the malik, it's the, the father that sets you free. Why is the son setting him free? Because the son has been given authority to set them free. So that the son of righteousness can make slaves of sin sons of 
righteousness. I repeat, so that the son of righteousness can make slaves of sin sons of righteousness. The covenant love of God is to make you a child of God, not just to make you holy. The covenant love of God is a father-child relationship. The covenant love of God is, is seen in Jesus' relationship with the Father. I've come to do my Father's will. I've come to show my Father's uh, life, his, his love. I've come to give my Father's word. This is my Father's will. I do what he pleases. I do as he asks. We are sons of Abraham. No, you're not sons of Abraham. If you were sons of Abraham, you would have done what Abraham did. Abraham believed. Abraham believed me and he looked forward to the day that I, was, uh, that I would come. He said, what do you look forward to the day? You're only 50 years, you're not even 50 years old. What look forward to that? Before Abraham was, I am. Okay? Oh, only God is our father, they said. Only God is our father. No, God is not your father. If God was your father, you would know me and you would recognize me and you would accept my words. Then he goes on in chapter 8. You are sons of the devil because you do what the devil does. What does the devil do? Yes, I know. What else does the devil do? He condemns. He condemns. He's the accuser of the brethren. You are, the, you are what the devil does. You are like the devil. You are like the father, your father, the devil. You are children of the end works. works. Chapter 9 verse uh, 5. I am the light of the world as long as I am in the world. So as long as I am in the world, you get to see what I am saying. You get to see and hear the word of God. Why is it so important that Jesus wanted people to believe in him? Why is it so important? Chapter 8 verse 12. I am all over the place. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of circle life. We talk about, oh, if we have Jesus in our life, we would know the next steps and career and who to marry. And all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that is there. Sure. But how many times are you going to get married? How many times are you going to pick a career? So that one moment Jesus was there for you, that's it. And for that, he gave you eternal life. And neither the job or the wife is going to stick around with you for eternity. Trust me. So what is it that Jesus gave? That you may have the light of life. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Not written in this book, but whatever is written, these things are written. Why? So that you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? So that by believing, you may have forgiveness, peace, joy, life. Life in his name. So Jesus came to turn around to reverse what happened in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to do his father's will. God, the father's will was, you must ask, what does God want? What does the father want? The father's will is, bring them back to me. Bring them back to me. Don't condemn them. They're my children. Don't touch them. Don't beat them. Don't stone them. You bring them back to me. But, but they're sinners. They're horrible. You have no idea what all they've said about you. That's okay. That's okay. I will cover their sin. I will cover their sin. How are you going to cover? I, 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 I signed the check before the foundations of the world. I signed the check then. The Lamb of God was slain not in 2017 years ago. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. So when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus came to earth, let me explain. We calculate light at 
light years. The stars are a hundred light years away. So when in the night sky tonight you look up into the sea and you see a star, that star is a hundred light years away. That means it takes a hundred years at the speed of light for that light to hit you. So what you're seeing tonight as you look at the sky is that star shining 100 years ago. It shone 100 years ago. You're seeing it now. When Jesus came, when Jesus died, you were seeing what happened a very long time ago, before the foundation of the earth. And with that confidence, because it was already done, Jesus was able to say, go, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. I don't condemn you. Because the goal is not to sin or not to sin. The goal is that you may have life. Oh, Pastor Jeremy, how can you not teach about sin? How can, how can you sin? No, I'm, say, I'm saying if you have life, you will have the produce or the fruit of life. If you have sin, it's because you are dead. It's the sting. Sin is the sting of death. Jesus didn't come to uncover our sin. He came to cover it. Jesus didn't come to condemn us to death. He came to bring life. If we do not believe, he says, you will continue to die. You will remain dead. Believing him allows him to give you life. Why does he want to give you life? Because he wants to be in a covenant relationship with you. Because he wants to love you. That's the message of the gospel. Is there anyone who condemns you? He said to the woman. He says, neither do I. To the man, he says, do you believe in the son of man? Have you, are you putting all the time, in every occasion, he was getting the person to have faith in him. Eat of me. Eat, eat of me. Eat of me. Come, eat of me. Why? Why was he giving himself away? Because he was there to dispense life. If you eat of him, if you partake of him, if you abide in him, if you believe his words, you will have life. Because Jesus had only one agenda. The life you lost in the Garden of Eden was the life he came to restore. I have come that they may have life. We have only... We have only attached it to, Achha, after I die, I don't go to hell, I go to heaven. And that is life. No, no. That is not the Jewish understanding of eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start now. Otherwise, it wouldn't be eternal. Eternal life has always been and will always be. Eternal life is not from there to there. Eternal life is like this. It's in a circle. So the Jewish understanding of eternal life is very different to ours. When we say eternal life, we look this way, I can't see the end here. Look at that. I can't see the end here. And we look at it in a, in a line. That's a Greek understanding. It's a linear understanding. But in the Jewish understanding, it's a circle. There is no start. There is no finish. And God wants to give you eternal life. What is eternal life? That endless, boundless, unstoppable, without start, without finish relationship, covenant relationship with him. That nothing can break that. This is about God sharing his life with you, not you just getting forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father wants you to share in his life. He wants you to be part of his life, to live of him and to feed of him. I have come that they may have life. We started with the word condemnation. We end with the word covenant. Condemnation puts your sin at the front and center of the story. Covenant put God, puts God's love at front and center of the story. At condemnation, we have an angry God. In covenant, we have a loving God. 
So you don't even talk about sin because the issue, you don't even talk about forgiveness because the issue is not your sin. The issue is the broken fellowship. In here, we have a broken fellowship because of what you did. Over here, we have a fixed relationship because of what God did. With every head bowed and every eye closed, thank God that he doesn't want holiness from you. He wants intimacy with you. It's not that he wants you to give yourself to him. He wants to give himself to you. When he signed a covenant with Abraham, Abraham was not in the deal. Abraham was sleeping. When he walked through the covenant and the body of that sacrifice was torn in two, cut in two, and then they, the two members of, that are signing a covenant have to walk through that sacrifice, God walked alone. And yet he says, I have made a covenant with you, Abraham. Because the English translation is not actually right. It is actually God made a covenant with himself. Because he's the only one who walked through. That same covenant in Abraham was the seed in Abraham that was Jesus. And you are in that seed. You are in Jesus. In Jesus... God has made a covenant with himself to love you with an everlasting love. So take your attention off yourself and your weaknesses and your brokenness and fix it wholly, completely on the Father's heart and you will know life.